Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. We begin tonight with a discussion that's been exercising lots of minds over this past week, anger. It's been particularly on the radar in the wake of the death of Thomas Kelly on the streets of King's Cross two weeks ago. 18-year-old Kieran Loveridge appeared in court, accused of killing 18-year-old Thomas and charged over three other assaults. Shortly after his court hearing, a Channel 9 cameraman was badly hurt when he was knocked to the ground. The New South Wales Premier Barry O'Farrell offered the comment more broadly that one of his prime concerns in today's society was anger, from the streets to road rage. He says that's the issue the government, police, young people and even families have to deal with. I wanted to explore some of these questions with forensic psychologist Christopher Lennings, who's done a great deal of work with violent offenders. Christopher, welcome to Open House. Thank you. Very grateful that you've joined us. Do you think we're living in a more angry age? No, I don't think we're living in a more angry age. We're, we're living in a, a, an environment in which there is both more depiction of anger and violence and more reporting thereof. I think that the age itself is no more or no less angry than what it used to be, but there are certain social and cultural factors that make it uh, uh, more of a worry. We also live in a culture which has become increasingly more fearful and less tolerant of threat and risk, and for these kinds of cultural factors we now pay more attention to and have strong reactions to aspects of violence and demonstrations of violence in our community. Are there particular age groups that are more susceptible to this dynamic today where as they might not have been before? It's the same age group as uh, both the victim and perpetrator of violence and that is this younger age group between 15 and 25. They're the uh, main group of people who get involved in violence and also uh, are the main group of people who are the recipients of violence. Are they resorting to it faster do you think? I think we're seeing increases in female violence. I think that's definitely occurring, and that's a phenomenon of this and the, and the previous generation, which is something that we haven't seen so much of in the past. But I think that the uh, rates of violence and the impact of violence uh, in men is probably fairly static. We, we know that there are reductions in violent crime around periods of great wars and those kinds of things because, you know, the men get caught up in the army and go overseas and their violence is directed for, you know, military purposes. And so you do get fluctuations in violence with, with large social events. But on the whole, I think that we're seeing similar rates of um, aggressive, violent and disaffected young men because to some extent it's in the nature of being a young man to be a bit cranky and, and difficult to get on with. Why is it in their nature, do you think? Why are they wired like that? Well, there are a number of different reasons. Firstly, there's, of course, the, the hormone surge that occurs in adolescence, bearing in mind that from a neurodevelopmental perspective, adolescence isn't over until the early 20s. Secondly, there are strong social and biological forces that are occurring such that uh, there's a, almost like a program in the genes that uh, get young people to move outside the family, to be more risk-taking, to be more sensation-seeking. And so there's a, a number of biological factors that are associated with young men being um, 
more risky and uh, more ready to, to respond aggressively to the situations they find themselves in. There's a whole bunch of learning factors that take place as well. In particular, in the modern age, there's an awful lot of uh, violence on TV. It's romanticised, and the, the fact of the matter is that uh, there's a tolerance for violence um, in, in young people that is based on both biological and cultural factors that make it likely that, uh, that for a small... I'm mean, talking in small percentages, by the way. Yes. I mean, whilst uh, a lot of young men are going to be more prone to impulsive behaviour and those kinds of things, we're still only looking at a small percentage, maybe only 5% of young men who are genuinely violent, except for those people who get caught up in crowd situations. The third factor happening um, on young people is social influence from their peers and uh, a young person is likely to be more aggro and more likely to uh, act in a stupid way if they're preening themselves and positioning themselves within their peer group and there's young peers around egging them on and those kinds of things. And it's more and more being fueled by alcohol and drugs today. Well, I think that is probably a bit of a difference from previous generations in as much as we're seeing younger and younger ages of initiation into drug and alcohol use. So uh, whilst substance abuse in one form or another has been with us for you know, generations, uh, we are seeing younger and younger cohorts getting involved in these things, and that does have a destabilising effect on people's behaviour. About 50% of all violent events occur within 100 metres of a liquor outlet, and I don't think there's much... Um, doubt or debate in the uh, uh, experts out there that alcohol in particular is a significant factor in young people's violence. Why do you think young women Mm. are getting more angry, more violent? Well, I think they're acting out more because there are changes in the way in which women are perceived in society. Feminism and equal opportunity things have made it much more likely that women are able to take on male roles. They have much greater independence. They're subject to much less supervision of their behaviour than used to occur in previous generations. So I think there are those kinds of factors acting on young women that make it more likely that they'll have the opportunity to be aggressive. But there's also... Uh, again, media role-playing, media stereotyping of young, aggressive women who manage to get on in the world and beat up all the bad guys and all that kind of stuff. So I think that there are a number of social influences that are happening that are both disinhibiting young women able to act out in more uh, aggressive ways and at the same time uh, changing their social roles so that they have greater equality with men. They're just being able to do more. You've worked a great deal with violent offenders. Are there yep. any common behavioural patterns from person to person? There's different kinds of violence, I guess, and you get to see some young people who are socialised into violence who they get to learn uh, through exposure to being brought up in violent or or, or abusive families uh, or abusive neighbourhoods, that violence is a form of communication, an acceptable form of communication, and they learn to use violence in a structured way, strategic way to get their ends met. There's also a bunch of young people who uh, simply like being violent, who get a thrill, get excitement out of being violent, and they're probably the more dangerous group because the instrumental violence, the people who use violence in order to get what they want, uh, know when to stop. But the group that just enjoy violence for violence's sake uh, can be really quite dangerous. What's more predominant? The nurture or nature thing? 
they both operate together. I, I don't think it's uh, one's more predominant than the other. I think most young people are biologically programmed that they will experience increases in aggression and um, impulsive behaviour, uh, and then the environment and the learning experiences they've had will teach them how to express those uh, experiences. I think we need to focus on both and the answer to um, when do you do that has to be right from the very beginning. We need to have good pre-parenting and uh, early parenting approaches to try and deal with the issue of young people coming up and learning that violence and aggression is a suitable communication strategy. We need to fix that with parenting programs and we also need to look at ways of being able to improve the quality of life for young people. If you're trying to work at the adolescent end with young people who are aggressive, your job's really cut out for you. Yes. You really need to do this stuff when they're young. So what do you tell those parents about how to nurture their kids so they will be less angry, less violent? I think that what you've got to tell them is you've got to explore with them other ways of responding, other ways of being able to manage their own stresses in their life. You need to be able to tell them that it's a matter of not do as I say, but kids genuinely will do as you do. And so if you act out in this irresponsible and aggressive fashion, that is how your kids will be. It's not a matter of telling them don't do it or I'll knock your block off. If you tell them you'll knock your block off, that's what they're learning. What are the strategies that you seek to pass on to help people be less angry? Recognition and self-monitoring so that they're aware of when the situation is developing that's going to lead down the track to anger and aggression is one of them. Secondly, we try and teach people how to soothe themselves, how to recognise they're distressed or angry or impulsive or whatever and how to meet and manage those emotional needs in a safe way. We need to teach them stress inoculation and anger inoculation, ways of, act of acting and behaving in the world that simply don't lead to anger, ways of being able to reduce their resting level of stress, in other words. Uh, we also uh, try to get people to learn, have some sense of empathy, of awareness of what the impact of their behaviour is on other people. If they can come in touch with how they felt when people were mean and horrible to them, maybe they will have some sense of restraint about causing the same feelings in others. Yes, with the violent offenders with whom you've worked, mm. is there much regret the morning after or when they sober up or when they realise the significance of what they've done, they end up before the courts? Much regret? There is quite often, but the difficulty is that regret and remorse we all think are really important things, but they have very little value in terms of preventing further nasty behaviour. We put a lot of store by the fact that someone feels guilty for what they've done, but we have very little evidence that simply feeling guilty for what you do means that you won't do it again. It's a very weak, in fact, it's a non-existent predictor, really, in whether or not someone's going to be violent again. Can I ask you about your view as you see the proliferation of alcohol and what it means for this particular cohort of young person. Do you think it's time for our society to really get tough with itself on alcohol? 
well, that's not going to happen. Uh, so I don't think it makes any difference. Um, I think that, you know, you take a look at countries like the United States. It's illegal to drink alcohol under the age of 21. No one's going to pretend that the United States aren't, isn't a violent country. Um, I think that you've got issues about constricting alcohol. I certainly think that uh, policies to prevent the proliferation of alcohol by getting rid of things like the alcohol pops and the sweet drinks and stuff like that is a major, major um, intervention that needed to have got a lot more support than what it did. I think that the concern we've got is the earlier onset of drinking and the encouragement to young people to drink uh, advertising and those kinds of things that make it cool to drink. So I do think that there are issues that we could do about changing some of the attitudes and nature of alcohol. But the research we've done, for instance, shows that children by the age of 12 have very well-formed beliefs about what alcohol can do for them. And so we've got a major community rethink if we want to actually do very much. But I do think that we have to look at licensing laws. I think that the notion of all-night venues, uh, uh, the easy availability of alcohol and responsible serving of alcohol are things that do have to be further explored and maybe some unpleasant restrictions uh, placed, although on the whole... The evidence doesn't suggest that simply placing restrictions makes much change to behaviour. Christopher Lennings, thank you very much indeed for your insight, your experience. Thanks for joining us on Open House. Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.